Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show we share cutting-edge strategies to help marketing directors, CMOs, and business owners get more leads and sales so they can ultimately achieve their vision. Sometimes we do that through paid traffic. Sometimes we do that through other traffic. And today we're doing it through a collaboration with... I hate to admit it, but one of my favorite marketing podcasts and a sometime rival, sometime uh, punching bag for us insecure marketers over here at Perpetual Traffic, myself and Kasim. We are doing a three-part cross-promote with a podcast that I think you as a listener should check out. Uh, different style, different type of background for these guys, none other than Eric Sue and Neil Patel over at Marketing School. They are doing a broadcast of our podcast together. We're doing the same thing to our listeners here just so we can cross-promote because we think that the more you know about marketing, the more you know about how to grow and scale your business through different voices, the more effective you're going to be. So these guys are super sharp. We've been big fans of them begrudgingly for years and years. And I think you'll enjoy this because there's a little bit of a rivalry going on between us and them. I equate it to the rivalry that the Red Sox and the Yankees had before 2004. It really wasn't a rivalry. It was mostly the Yankees just kicking the Red Sox butt, which would be marketing school and us as far as like the rankings go. But the point is, is these guys are great marketers. They're primarily SEOs. So they get a different take on marketing just in general. And Neil Patel, I've been a huge fan of for years and years. So it was kind of a full circle moment for us here to do this cross-promote. So we're going to be talking about futures of agencies. So if you're an agency owner, this is, this is gold here today. You're getting four pretty large agencies here giving your opinion on exactly where the agency space is going, percentage of spend, how that's changing. Should you do a CPA model? How do you actually charge customers now? What type of content should you create to attract the right customer? And Neil Patel actually dropped some huge bombs there on some ways in which they've actually decreased traffic to get more of their ideal customer. So definitely check that part of it out. Also, we talk about, should you start a podcast? And we talk about that, perpetual traffic quite a bit, how they started. And then last but not least, we get into the new Google and SGE and how that will affect your rankings, especially if you're doing content marketing and sort of the future of paid traffic. So we'll get into that today with this week's collaboration, the first of a two-part series with the awesome dudes over at Marketing School. So take it away, Eric. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert 
Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me, and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, everybody. Today, we've got a special collaboration here. We are collaborating with the Perpetual Traffic podcast, which I've been a fan of since actually the inception, Ralph. And this is a collaboration with Marketing School. So we're going to post this to both. So we got Ralph, we got Kasim, we got Neil, we got myself. It's going to be a conversation. We're going to see how long we can hold this for, the longer the better. We can make some jokes with that, but we're going to keep going. And I think probably the best way to start this one off is to do some introductions. So maybe Ralph, if you wanted to start first, then you can popcorn it and then we'll get going on this thing. I think I met Neil Patel like 15 years ago when I was like an internet marketing newbie at like some conference when there was only like 50 people there. And I was the only person that talked to him. And I was like, oh my God, this guy ranks for everything. And we were an SEO agency. At that point. So that was the start of the love affair, Neil, way back when, 15 plus years ago. And here we are on a podcast together. After that, I got away from SEO because it's too freaking hard and you still continue to figure it out. But we started an agency through the affiliate world and then just went full bore into Facebook ads in 2012, 2013. And now I have a full service agency. It's all virtual, not quite as big as yours, but we do a pretty damn good job doing what we're doing called Tier 11. And we've been running the Perpetual Traffic podcast now for about eight, nine years. It was a collaboration with Digital Marketer and Ryan Dice, bought it from those guys about a year and a half ago. I kept Kasim on as the co-host with his $10 million a year salary. And ever since then, we've continued to grow. And it's been a lot of fun. And we always listen to you guys as well. We it's always fun to like, you know, throw throw shade at marketing school and Neil and Eric. So it's kind of cool full circle stuff here to be on the show with you guys today. So we're, we're actually really excited to be here. So appreciate that. Go for it. Awesome. Awesome. By the way, are you Indian Pakistani? I'm half. I'm half Pakistani and half white. Okay. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Good combo. Cool. Go, go for yeah. it. I'm a half breed. My name is Kasim. I owned a Google ads agency that I sold a year and a half ago to a MarTech company that is trying to AI everything that we do by hand. That's been fun to be able to see from the inside looking out. I'm not going to apologize for all the shit that we've talked <laughs> over the years. <laughs> because because it, was all, it was all spoken and yeah. fun. 
all jokes aside, it's fun to like be able to do this mashup here because I feel like the crossover is going to be, I don't know, a little meta, no pun intended. And marketing school always outranks us for everything. So at least now I know that we're going to get the we're going to get the blip that we need. My favorite joke that's recurring in Neil. I don't know if you've heard this, but the recurring joke that me and Ralph have is that Neil Patel sold his soul for Google rankings. And, uh, he did. I figured that as much. It's not a joke. I just needed the verification. Yeah, yeah man. Excited to chat with you guys and excited to see where it goes. Cool. Well, let me set the tone real quick before you do your intro, Neil, because it's going to go on both podcasts. So the way this started was because I was like, oh, they're talking about us. It's like, oh, it's those guys over at marketing school. If you want to go listen to them. I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if we do a collab with them. You guys did a collab with Marketing Against the Green. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. So we did one with Marketing Against the Green. I'm like, oh, we should do one with Perpetual Traffic too. So this is how it all came about. Neil and I, were everything's in good fun. We make fun of each other all the time. So this is cool. We do. We actually make fun of each other a lot. My name is Neil Patel. I've been doing marketing school podcasts with Eric for seven years, have an ad agency, NP Digital, where we do all the types of marketing, performance, paid, SEO, email, etc. And this is going to be fun. I look forward to chatting with you guys and just shooting the shit for 90 minutes. Cool. On my end, I'll be brief. So Eric Sue have an ad agency called Single Grain, been doing marketing school for, what, seven, almost eight years now. I have another pod called Leveling Up, and I hope this is the beginning of many collabs to come. I think we can do a lot more. Maybe we'll do them in person in the future if these go really well. And uh, yeah, let's just jump into it. It's going to be a nice conversation. There's a lot going on. I Here, I think this is a good place to start. And you guys can feel free to chime in when you guys have any thoughts. And I'll just jump around here. So okay, where do you guys think agencies are going? And where do you think all those percentage of spend management fees are going? Huh. <laughs> Dude, we just had this conversation this morning with Perry Marshall. We had Perry Marshall on Perpetual Traffic. Yeah. If you haven't talked to him in a while, it's worth revisiting because Perry's a philosopher before he's a marketer. And Perry's analogy was digital marketing agencies today are travel agencies just before the internet. And he goes, travel agencies died, but travel exploded. People travel now more than ever. And I wanted to fight him on that, but I don't think he's wrong. That doesn't mean that agencies won't exist, but I think the media by agency specifically that I am, Ralph really isn't this quite as much, and I don't think you guys are this. So I'm allowed to say it because I'm the one that's the center of the planet that the meteor is hitting. I think the media buy specifically is over. I think if you're not doing post-click data analysis, first-party data, like if you're not doing something value-producing that has more story to it than just arbitrage, how could you survive an AI-driven machine learning world. You know what I mean? You can't. And what's really sad is it's not new. Google rolled out smart shopping before Performance Max. And I remember our smart shopping campaigns, we'd have clients that would have six, seven, eight months without change in the change history. And we'd be coming to the client saying like, hey, we're doing feed optimizations. We're doing some creative, but we're not optimizing these campaigns. And the clients are like, that's okay. They paid us to watch it. But how long could that be true too? And I'm not trying to play chicken little and I don't think I am. I think we have enough context now to be able to say this. If you're not willing as an agency, if you're an agency owner and you're listening to this, if you're not willing to expand and broaden your horizon, I do think that you're living in a world of forced obsolescence. There's a ton of meat on the bone, but it requires depth, not breadth. Everybody wanted to go for breadth because that's where the scale is. Well, to the point that you just made, Eric, about the percentage of spend, I mean, dude, that's where I made all my money, all of it. And I happen to have had the greatest timed exit in history just by sheer luck because I sold my agency and then it feels like everything went to hell in a handbasket. So now I'm watching kind of from the outside, but still from the inside because I've got a 
golden handcuffs. We've got a two-year earnout. We've lost more clients in the last four months than we have in two years combined. And I'm hearing that from all my media by agency friends. I've got a gentleman I do coaching with. He, he has a smaller agency, but super high-end, really brilliant. He lost 67% of his clients in Q4 of last year. Wow. And it's a combination of factors, but I think one of the most important is people can't just have a media buyer. They effectively need like a CMO or a fractional CMO or an agency that's willing to dive deep. So I held the mic for too long there, but that's more or less my impression of what's happening. No, you're good. Uh, you guys know what it's like being me, being the co-host of Perpetual Traffic. <laughs> <laughs> long diatribes for a costume. This is my soapbox. Well, Ralph, what do you think about it? I just want to ask Neil, like, why you wrote the blog post, Premier Growth Marketing Agency's Worth Hiring, and did not put Eric's agency on there. Oh, that's, dude. Like, I can't wow. believe that. Yeah. So self, and guess who number one is? <laughs> NP Digital. <laughs> who would have thought? I, I don't know who wrote that, but whoever wrote that must be amazing. Must be right. amazing. And why is... Why is Tier 11 and Solutions 8 I not know, in there, too? No mention what whatsoever. I'm so <laughs> offended. I think it actually speaks to the point that I think there's just too many damn agencies. We pay money for these reports that talk about like, specifically how big the world is right now when it comes to global agencies. And I believe at last count, there's 42,100 agencies in the U.S. alone. Now, I also saw another statistic that said that there's... 37,456. So that happened within six months. And I also look at all the emails, which I'm sure you guys get as well every single day from private equity groups looking to buy agencies for roll-ups, consolidation, arc of services, you name it. There's a list of 100 agencies that are for sale right now on, you know, We Are Barney. I just think that agencies in general they're so out of date with how they're thinking because what they do, and we've shopped the competition before, sorry if you're listening to the show, we do this because we want to find out like what other people are doing. People are just selling shit. Like, oh, I want Facebook ads. Oh, I'll sell you Facebook ads. Oh, I want Google ads. Oh, I want Google ads. I'll sell you Google ads. That is such an outdated model with percentage of ad spend because it doesn't care about like what the client actually wants. And I know this sounds mm. Pollyanna and overly optimistic, but we run an agency now and we're hugely passionate about this. It's all about client success and it's not percentage of ad spend. It's how much we need to put towards the work that we do in order to achieve their vision. And then we add on a little bit of profit margin because as we know, guys, like 18% of ad spend, if you're spending millions per month, you know that's like a 70% net profitability, depending on like how many people that you have on it. Point is, is that's unfair to clients. That's also how you create a lot of turnover. So we've figured out that to retain clients, you put them first, and then you put your profit. Obviously, you need to be profitable in order to be an agency. But I think there's a lot of agencies, and 42,000 of them, who thought, oh, this stuff is easy, started their own shop with a VA in a basement in the recession, and now they're like, holy crap, this is hard, and how am I going to make it? And a lot of them are bailing out. Kasim is one of them, because he was created in the recession, or created in 2020. Point is, is that I think there's too much that's out there right now, and I think they're focused more on themselves as opposed to the real success of the client. And unless that changes... Yeah, we're going to see more and more consolidation, more agencies, sorry, going out of business. It's just going to be the way that it is. 
Speaking of which, Ralph, I don't know if you're buying agencies right now, but FYI, everyone, Neil's in the market right now. He's looking to buy. So it looks like Ralph is too, right? Sure. Um, and I'm looking at opportunities too, right? So just FYI for everyone. Go ahead, Neil. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I think the model of percentage of media can still work. It depends how it's done. I think if someone's spending $10 million a month in media, call it $120 million a year, you can't charge 18%, you can't charge 10%, you can't even charge 5%, right? But when I say percentage of media model can still work, you're not really charging to manage the media. You're charging to manage the media, build the creatives, optimize the landing pages, create the email sequences. You're analyzing data. You're figuring out how to upsell and continually increase LTV you're pretty much doing a lot and you better be good at it to actually charge the rates. I don't really look at it as a percentage of media or a fixed rate. I look at it as what's your cost and what's your margin. Most agencies that I've seen typically operate between 10 and 20% margins. And if you're doing that, then it's fine. If you're charging a percentage of media and you're inking out 70%, that's not going to last. People are not getting the value for it and you're doing a disservice as an agency owner. But if you're providing a better ROI and your profit margin is somewhere between 10 and 20%, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But it can't just be you're making 10 to 20% by clicking a few buttons and letting the AI do its thing. You need to have the strategy. You need to figure out ways to actually provide value that the customer couldn't figure out on their own. That's where I think agencies still have a future now and 10, 20 years from now, right? It's being creative, thinking outside the box and solving hard problems, not clicking some buttons and letting some AI manage a lot of stuff. I get technology is going there, but people will always have problems. And the one thing I love telling people is everyone talks about how technology is moving so fast and everyone's like the cloud's going to change the internet, which it did. But how many big multi-billion dollar companies are still not on the cloud? There's a ton that still aren't on the cloud and haven't adapted. And I do think everything that's happened in the last few years, we've seen the reckoning of agencies. And what I mean by this is we've seen the We Are Barney stuff, too. We've talked to a lot of those agencies. People are coming at us and being like, we're worth 10 times, 15 times, 20 times profit. No, you're not. Companies like Berkshire Hathaway are buying companies for seven times profit, and these are massive organizations making billions of dollars. What makes an agency so special? Even when you look at multiples like seven times profit, does your customers last seven years? No. Well, why are you worth seven years worth of profit when your customers don't even last that long, right? I do think there's a world for agencies. I do think they're worth something. I think the reality of what they're worth, and the value has changed, especially with AI. I don't think the money is is buying these agencies and automating it because at the end of the day, Google and Facebook are going to automate as much as possible. And I think the winner is going to be the platforms, not the people. It's just like people using chat GPT to create AI content for others and be like, look at this AI content. I can just go to chat GPT and do it for free. Why, why do I need to pay your company that's using someone else's software for this solution? But yeah, that's my thoughts on it. And I do still think there's a future. And I do think the value of agencies, assuming as what Kasim said, going really deep is there. But I do also think the multiples are much more compressed. And I think what agencies are worth from a multiple of EBITDA is more realistic today than what it was a few years ago. I think it was just artificially inflated due to COVID. So 
the 15 to 20x multiples at a really high range, right? That we saw a couple of years ago. Do you think that comes back? If so, when? No. I think all those people are underwater and they've just lost. Most of those PE deals. Yep. Yep. I just don't see how an agency is worth 20 times. Yep. So look, on this topic, we can move on. I don't know if Ralph, Kasim, or Neil, you have anything from your side. Otherwise, I have a list over here. I want to double click on what Neil said just real quick when Neil said the platforms win. When it comes to the automation, I think anybody who's trying to build automation that lives on top of the platform, it's an absurdity because you have this literal trillion dollar business spending hundreds of billions of dollars building (laughs) AI for their system. And you think you're going to build a bolt-on that's going to keep up with that? There's no No way. way. So I think that was one of the most poignant statements I heard all day. It's the platforms that will win. Get out of the platform's way and then try to figure out where to provide value where they're not automating. I thought that was a really, really Don't great suck point. up, Kostum. You yeah. said you were going to argue with Neil the entire time here. but oh, you know, talked a lot of shit. Right. You, know, you know, here we are. Yeah. Hey, it's more entertaining if we fight each other. Yeah. Just FYI for everyone, just for context here. So Ralph and Kasim are, in my opinion, very skilled. I mean, their bread and butter is around paid. And then Neil and I were more SEO guys, just context for everyone here. But here's how I see I tend to agree more with Ralph and Kasim on this. It's the old way of doing it where you're just going to charge 15, 20% doing the same thing. That's going away, right? Because technology is very deflationary. It's going to eliminate a lot of these jobs. But going to Neil's point, it's like, okay, How are you going to add value? Let's be specific here. So when we think about doing SEO, you can't do SEO the same way anymore. How can you do programmatic SEO? How can you do AI-assisted SEO? How can you do AI meetings booked, right? You can use all the APIs out there. You can build this stuff. I've been talking to a lot of people like, dude, we'll pay you per meeting. I talked about on an episode how Intercom is charging a dollar per solved ticket for you. Zapier already charges per zap. You can charge per meeting booked. You can charge per page that you publish from a programmatic SEO standpoint. And a lot of people are willing to pay you a lot of money for that, right? So it's Mm. like, how can you dance around and make sure you don't put yourself at platform risk where you could get deplatformed or lose your entire business? But what you're talking about, big corporations don't like. It doesn't fit in their playbook to pay you. I get they pay Google a cost per click, but it doesn't fit their model to pay you a cost per lead, a percentage of revenue, cost per page. When you're big and you're highly profitable, like some of these companies making $10 billion a year, they just want to fix costs and they want to know what they're in for because they have the cash. I totally agree with you on the SMB side. The big corporations too, whether they're paying you 10, 15% for a percentage of media or they're paying, which they don't, by the way, because they're spending so much, or they're paying you X dollars for SEO, they're wise enough to know what others are charging because they have procurement divisions and they kind of have idea of what your margins are. And if they know it's too high, they're going to beat you up and they're not going to accept it. Do you know how much revenue Centerfield drives? I don't. Okay, so Centerfield, they're a pay-for-performance agency, right? They work with AT&T, Verizon, I believe, all the big telecoms companies. So they used to just gift wrap customers for these companies. And it was on a CPA basis, right? And it was cost per lead basis. And then they bought a call center and they're like, okay, you telecom companies, we're just going to drive you new customers. So I believe they were doing about $800 million or so. could be more than that. But that is an example of it. Those are few and far between, to Neil's point. But they do exist, right? We'll see in the next decade or so. This stuff is just coming out right now. But yeah, anybody have anything? Otherwise, I'm going to pick something. No, well, I like what you said about the opportunity being in participation. Because really, what's fun about this discussion is, and it emerges everything that we've been talking about. Ralph said there's too many agencies and some of them need to to burn off. Well, how do you build the hierarchy 
within which we identify who burns off and who stays? And the answer is competence. So now it's a competence hierarchy. But if it's based off of competence, then the competence needs to be tied in direct proportion to what it is that I'm executing on. And Neil earlier said, you're not just driving media, you're also landing page optimization, post-click analysis, whatever, 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 whatever. So now we have to do so much more to justify our value. Well, I'm not going to do that for a fee, but I'll do it for bite, like a piece, a cut, a percentage. And so I think, and this is a brand new thought, so help me work through this together. The agency that can really execute on this stuff would almost have to be a partner. They'd almost have to participate because the amount of time, effort, energy I need to invest to learn your business, learn how to crack the code on this shit, but then hand you the keys to the kingdom and be usurpable, why would I do that? If I'm going to go all the way to helping you build an assembly line for customers, which is what an agency is being asked to do, I want equity, phantom equity, profit share, participation, ownership. I'm not going to build all that shit for a monthly fee and then have you say, you know, good job, kid. Thank you so much. I'm glad you cracked the code for me. Now piss off. That's for you, Neil. (laughs) I I believe agencies will do it for money because it depends on the corporate size. But if you're working with a large account that's paying you $10 million a year, you're okay getting the fee because it's so large. If you get the 10 million bucks for sure. But what customers are asking for versus it's a problem of leverage, what they want and what it costs us to deliver that feels outweighed and outmoded now that we can't charge the way that we were charging. The companies, what they're expecting, like what you're talking about, a lot of agencies have been doing it for a long time. Mm. It's just that they mainly do it with enterprise customers because they have the budgets. Whether it's a million dollars a year or $10 million a year, the enterprise brands have the budget, so it's possible to do all that stuff. It takes forever to get the contracts, in many cases, six plus months, and you're going through legal and procurement and so many rounds of pitches that it truly becomes a partnership where they stick with you for three, four, five, six years. It's hard to do what we're all saying here for SMBs. And I do think that's where you got to either get a cut or there has to be something where they need to be well-funded, but it's hard for SMBs to get all of that. And that's what they really need. And that's the challenge. Well, I think we're saying the same thing. So here's to make it more tangible. If I'm an HVAC agency, I just need to learn what an HVAC customer is really worth in the LTV algorithm of a HVAC business. And now I know, hey, that HVAC customer is worth 1500 bucks LTV. Now it's a factoring problem. How much of the LTV do I deserve? And that creates a competitive landscape too. But you end up needing to really know that business all the way inside out, upside down, not front and center. It also requires the SMB to know their business. And what we find is that SMBs are SMBs for a reason is they typically don't know their numbers. And even when you bring this sort of (laughs) stuff up, it's met on deaf ears. They're like, wait a second here. I'd just rather pay you a fee, like a lower fee, the smaller I am the higher potentially, the more profitable, the larger I am. I mean, we have tried to transition so many clients from a fee-based system over to a performance-based or over baseline or gross profitability, you know, you name it. It's just like, it's such a hard thing for business owners to let go of. And even at the enterprise level to get that all the way through all the committees that need to be that need to go through things like all the way up to the CFO, I find it's a hard thing to transition to. And it's a hard thing to start on because you as an agency, there's a tremendous risk for you to start on a pure performance basis. Because as you guys know, this is still a human-based endeavor. Now, yes, AI is certainly making those humans more effective, hopefully more efficient. 
and maybe allowing you to get rid of the ones that are not really all that great because you replace them with something that's AI related. That's fine. The point is, is it's human-based capital we're leveraging here. And if you can get a 10 to 20% profit margin, like I remember when I first started, Neil, I'm sure, and Eric, I'm sure you remember this, and Kasim, it wasn't that long ago, you were doing like a 40% net every single quarter. I'm like, this is the best business ever. I sold my agency at 35% margins. I sold in October 2023, and I had 35% margins. That's in the yeah, APA. That's what you're paying yourself $1,000 a month. That's very nice. <laughs> Driving a 40-year-old. Ralph, career. I got a question for you. So this is this is unique because you bought a podcast, right. right? Can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, how did you think about valuation there? Like what numbers can you share around this? Anything? Yeah. So my CFO, who is very smart, very well-versed in M&A, worked for KPMG for years and years. He's going to love to hear that because just pat his ego. But we tried to put together an actual model because if you go Google, like how do you how do you actually figure out the worth of a podcast? It's nearly impossible. There's like one blog post. So what we tried to figure out is we tried to figure out. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's probably Neil's. Yeah. And it also says that Neil's podcast yeah. is worth then, the best and Eric's is yeah, anywhere. And then sell it to Neil's agency, which is a podcast <laughs> agency. No mention of Eric on that one too, I'm sure. But the point is, yeah. is the thing is, it's like nobody actually knew how to, really it was a value. So, I mean, I was negotiating with Ryan Dice, who's a pretty good negotiator. So he's like, it's worth X amount, which is an enormous amount. And we said, well, when we really think about what the revenue is times what it's relatively worth for us, at that point in time, they were selling. We, we said, okay, we'll sell it. We'll buy it for, I believe it was two to three X what their ad revenue was, which is gross. And we're like, that's a really fair price. But we also knew we went back through all of our leads and we figured out what is this podcast actually really worth? That was a different number. So the number that Ryan came up with was higher than what it was actually worth for me, but we got it at right around maybe a little bit more than what it's worth to us on an annual basis for what we bring in for an individual customer. So it's a great way, obviously, here we are talking here today for co-promotes, this kind of stuff, teaching and obviously doing presentations and speaking. Great for that, you guys all know. And obviously, it's great for business. They listen to 100 podcasts. Eric, you can't tell me they're like, I listen to 100 podcasts, or you're like, I'm ready to hire single grain right now. Definitely not Neil. But the point is, is that, you know, you guys... <laughs> You understand the value of it. So we valued it based upon what we thought our value was to the podcast. And we paid a little bit more than we wanted. But I think in the end, it was a worthy investment. So you didn't pay 2 to 3x on the ad revenue, but you maybe you came down like in the middle, yeah. maybe like 1, 1.5x? I think we paid, we started at 2 to 3x ad revenue. I think we paid like 5x ad revenue at that point. And okay. Dice wanted like 20x. He's just greedy. Wow. 20x ad yeah, revenue? That's crazy. That's He's like, yeah, dude, I could, <laughs> Good for him I could get on there and sell 100 M3s like that if I was the host. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know if you could. But the point was is... You should have said, you go on there and sell 100 M3, M3s. <laughs> you can't even sell 100 M3s. That's right. Doesn't he cap it out at 100? Yeah. But anyway, the point was is like he got what he wanted. I got what I wanted. We met somewhere in the middle. And it all worked out and we're still friends, or at least friendly. He hasn't changed his phone number on me. Other people have. <laughs> you know what's worth talking about then, Ralph? I mean, it's like we should all talk about here because we've been podcasting for a while. What have we actually gotten from it? We talked about customers, speaking opportunities, like friendships. But a lot of people still come up to me. It's like, what do you actually get from it? It's like, it seems like you're just having fun with it. 
Yeah, I mean, there is that. I mean, I do have to talk to Cosm twice a week, which is just kind of a burden. You guys are what, like every single day, which I'm sure you batch them all together like we're doing right now. But the point is, is that we actually went back like three years to all our leads and we have HubSpot. We just figured out, roughly speaking, how much business did we get from the podcast? And we sorted that back out and then lifetime value. And that's really how we figured it out. But I tell people all the time, I'm sure you guys get the question like, hey, should I start a podcast? I'm like, well, I started mine like eight, 10 years ago. Like when I thought I was late to the party, you guys started right around the same time. I know for a marketing school, would I start one today to do what I'm doing? It's a hell of a lot harder. But I do know that there's a lot of folks that use them. We have a mutual friend, Kasim, myself, who's also in the private equity sort of M&A space. And he probably gets a couple thousand downloads a month. But he gets a couple thousand downloads a month, the exact right customer that makes him millions. So it depends on what the lifetime value of your customer is. For us, it's definitely worth it. It was worth our time to negotiate with the digital marketer guys and, and get the podcast and own it ourselves. Cool. All right. So I've got a question for Eric and Neil, just out of curiosity. Y'all are among the most prolific content creators, I think, online. And that's not unfair to say. Like, I can think of Agreed. you and then maybe Dennis, you, and then I don't know who Hormozy. else. Hormozy. <laughs> Hormozy. Hormozy. Oh, yeah. And Hormozy. You know what's funny, dude, is Hormozy doesn't rank. Hormozy's social, but if you think organic, who else would you pit against these guys? Gary Vaynerchuk yeah. as well. Not organic, though. You're not talking yeah, SEO yeah, he's organic? Social too. Like, dude, I think you guys are the reigning kings. So here's why I'm asking. Here's where I'm coming because it's a backhanded compliment. There's nowhere for you to go but down at this point, right? You're like, you're on the top. If you get usurped, and that's my question, because you're at the tippity top. If you get usurped, who usurps you and why? Where do you think your <laughs> risk is in getting overtaken? Dude, let's make this spicy costume. Neil's already getting usurped. He's gotten called out on Twitter. Everyone's like, thank God Neil Patel is losing his traffic, right? So you go first, I read Neil. that post. Yeah, it's a good so one. This is a good one. When we tend to get outserved, it tends to be by larger brands. It's mm. not Google admitted to the DOJ years ago that they don't actually understand uh, documents; they fake it. You said that recently. I put that out in a tweet recently, but Google said that years ago. And the big misconception is if you have better content, you rank higher. That's not necessarily the case. If you look at it over the last few years, a lot of what's been shifting up in the rankings are bigger, larger brands, which is a hard thing to fake. You know, you can build links, you can do a lot of things, but you have to build a good product and service. And you have to give it a long, long time to build a massive brand. Big brands just typically don't happen overnight. And then the other thing that you end up facing, I'll go back to the private equity example that Ralph gave. We used to be really heavy, prolific content creators for the purpose of SEO. SEO has done amazing for my business and my agency. It's caused us to be one of the fastest growing agencies. But there's a big misconception Ranking on Google for terms like SEO or digital marketing produced little to no revenue for us, right? And that's what we used to optimize for. And then when we saw that, we stopped. And then people are like, oh my God, Neil's traffic is down. Well, my revenue is up. My team and I just shifted our focus from ranking on page one of Google for the term Discord, which does jack crap for us in driving revenue, and ranking high up on page two for terms like Instagram, literally the term Instagram, 
that kind of stuff is cool, but it's not driving revenue. Yeah. Instead, you have premier marketing agency now that doesn't have our agencies in there. <laughs> See, Eric's on that trail right now. And now he's pissed now. He's yeah. pissed at you. But, but what we found is ranking for stuff like, should I have my blog on mydomain.com slash blog or a subdomain? I'm paraphrasing here, but like people typing in those long tail keywords, it's driving us quite a bit of revenue. Not that one particular keyword, but going after a lot of them that are very technical, that's what's driving us revenue. So we've shifted our strategy from SEO to, hey, let's produce content for the masses, for anyone interested in learning about marketing, to let's produce content that's a little bit more technical that enterprise companies would question. How do I structure my blog when I'm in multiple languages and countries? That's not a typical question that someone would ask unless you're a large corporation. And what we found is creating content around that has increased our revenue. We've seen it in our numbers. Like We're having a growth year this year over last year. Overall, our business has done well, even with the economy. If the economy wasn't this bad, we would have been probably still growing at 40 to 60% a year. But we found that the growth is coming from really unique content that's solving complex problems versus what is digital marketing. Yeah. So this is a question I know you've already answered at nauseum. Forgive me because we are the paid guys. So this is the paid guys yeah. asking the organic guys the novice question when it comes to AI. But AI is nothing but stolen clicks. AI, it's chat GPT taking your content. It's search generative experience taking your content. Dude, Google's SGE, if you've played with it, is amazing. But it is. it's content that Neil or Eric wrote being delivered by an AI bot in context that really never exposes you to me. So how much of that do you think ends up siphoning off the high value traffic you would have gotten otherwise? I think a lot of those questions of the SGE type of stuff, if you're a big corporation and you're looking to hire someone, you're not going to take an SGE response and hire someone on a million dollar contract. You're going to dig deeper and talk to someone on the phone. But do right? you get to that I, person on the phone through the SGE search or is the iterative process by which you identify that consultant, does it go a different route? Or do you think it still goes to them searching for the citation? I think it goes from them searching, they may see the SGE response and they're like, who's this by? Let me just go talk to the company. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, we've, we've talked about this um, a, a little bit where we were just saying, hey, you know, like at the end of the day, Google has that publisher relationship. That's still going to be there. There's like this tense relationship right now, right? They still need to give some like bread to the publishers themselves. So I think the citations will be probably clear and they'll say, hey, like we got this from over here. You should click on this website. But I think, Cosmo, your question is more around like, what are people going to do about the stolen clicks? That's the real question, right? Dude, why would I create content if the AI is just going to steal my content and then provide answers based? And I know they're trying to play the citation game, but even the way the citations are provided inside of SGE, it's here are my answers and here are the five sites I stole this from. And what's interesting about that is it's usually like one of you guys and you provided 80% of the answers and then four yahoos that just lucked out and got put in the bundle with you. And so now the four <laughs> yahoos look like they provided way more value than they did. And the majority of the value came from you. But Google's not going to say that or show that. And I say that because there's actually a separate frame in the SG if you've seen it. Here's all the citations we used. And if you swap over to the separate frame, here's on a almost per sentence basis, the citation responsible for the response. So they're trying desperately to cite the original source in app in context. But I have to seek that citation out to get it. 
And I don't know that the unsophisticated buyer does that. And Neil, your response is, well, the sophisticated buyer does it. And that's all I care about is what I'm hearing. I'll actually give you two examples and this will answer it. Okay. So the first one is SGE isn't perfect and it's iterations of what is already there. You type in the weather in Las Vegas, Nevada, or Los Angeles, it shows you what the weather is now. Mm. You know, years ago, 10 years ago, I don't know the exact time from, but let's say 15 years ago, you would say, type in Los Angeles weather, and then you'd click on weather.com, and then you would see the weather. Right. All right? Now you're showing the weather. You type in two plus two, or what's US to British pounds, it shows you the currency exchange, or it shows you the answer right then and there. But overall, if you look at what Danny Sullivan from Google said, Google has continually driven more clicks each and every single year to websites because as they improve the experience, they're getting more people using the search engine and a smaller percentage click through the website, but the total number is still greater. And what you're also seeing is they're when they're putting the knowledge graph there, when they're giving you some of the answers, in many cases, it's actually not that great. Yes, sometimes SGE is great, sometimes it's not, because a lot of the places where they're pulling the answers from, the content's crap, which is creating crap responses, mm. right? So that's one. But do I think it'll affect websites' traffic? Yes. I don't know by how much, though. The second one, and this is answering more of the question, but this is a second point. You guys are paid ad guys. Did you know that Google makes a bit more than $30 billion a year from their partner network? 30 plus billion dollars a year. How do you think those sites get their traffic? They're not buying at money from, they're not spending money on paid ads to get traffic to then send it back to Google. That's a losing battle. I know some businesses have done well building that, but it's far and few in between and they never last. That's a really terrible model. It's hard because buying traffic from Google and sending it back or buying it from Yahoo and then sending it to Google, it's a tough business. Yeah, there's no arbitrage mm -hmm. left anymore. You're yeah, right. the very little to none for right. most industries. So they're getting their traffic not from social media because social media doesn't keep giving evergreen traffic. They're getting it from SEO. I'm not saying Google isn't going to play with SEO and mess around with it. They definitely are. They always have been for a long time. But you think they can report to the public? Yeah, we just killed all the SEO results. And uh, oh, by the way, it affected that $30 billion that we generated in revenue. And we're going to make it up, but we don't know how much yet and how that's going to work. It's well, not that so for my counter to that is I think that Google is smart enough to play the long. Here's what I mean. Google will sacrifice near-term earnings in order to make sure that they're not replaced. So if Google tomorrow has to roll out an app that kills all of Google search, which is its most important ecosystem and infrastructure period, to make sure that it stays the primary utility with which you ask, with the assumption that it will learn how to monetize it later, I think it would flatten all of its revenue to do that as opposed to watch the slow death and atrophy. They won't. Companies owned by hedge funds and institutions, they'll fire the executives and CEOs for crushing their earnings. What I think will more realistically happen, and this has been Google's playbook, they'll try tons of changes and they'll implement them for like 0.1% of yeah. the users searching. And then make us their beta testers. Yes, and then they keep doing that until they got a winning formula to make a more revenue than what they're going to end up losing. That's typically been their playbook, and I see them continually doing that. But what feeds Google is content creators. If they just cut off all the traffic and they just answer everything for users, everyone's just going to block Google, and then their search engine is screwed either way. They can't just cut the yeah, traffic off. Yeah, they can't break that money printer. Way. Yeah. Mm. They're too disincentivized to break it. So they're going to be the slowest to change things while everyone else is like perplexity and all these other people are starting to run laps around them. But Ralph, I got a question for you and then Cosm as well. 
we just talked about SEO, but what you guys talk about paid quite a bit. And sometimes I'll listen to you guys like, oh, well, this is really good, right? So it's like, what's changing in paid right now? What are you guys seeing? We'll just start there. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things that's changing for us is you can actually sort of see this and everyone's starting to talk about it in the last year or so. And when Meta holds a conference on it, you know, it's now a trend, which is, you know, (laughs) performance agencies and performance marketing turning into brand. And yes, brand performance, I don't know, or brand performance. I don't even know who coined that term. It's ridiculous, but it is actually true. What we found is that a lot of the brands that come to us, they come to us for performance. They come to us for website conversions. They come to us for high intent-based keywords on Google. And they're like, we've sort of hit this wall. What's our next step? And what we found is that going up funnel from there and going, heaven forbid, branding, and I talked about this at the last conference that we were both at a couple of weeks ago, is that this is a new way of looking at things. And it's not like you need to shift 100% of your budget over to awareness and consideration, which obviously that's inventory that Meta has and they want to sell it. I get it. The point is, is that we've started to shift conversion-based ads over to more consideration, which is maybe just a first touch, or maybe it's a coupon code, or maybe it's an opt-in, all the way up to just pure awareness with no call to action. CPMs are infinitesimally smaller than they are in the conversion area, and you can actually lower your overall ad spend and get better return on ad spend, lower CPAs, The real thing is that what's the mix? How do you actually do it? Is it just, hey, I'll just do video view campaigns at the top of funnel, and then I'll just retarget everybody with those audiences that I capture on meta. It's not quite that simple. It's nuanced with every individual industry. We've done this now with about a dozen different industries, and we've figured out that the real key to scale is not just continuing to bash people over the head and the website conversion and the low, low funnel I wouldn't even say website conversion campaigns on Meta are really lower funnel. Like they're people that are considering maybe I might purchase or have had the behavior in the past that they have actually converted on the platform, but there's still a small portion of that 2 million person lookalike audience. And in order to expand out from there, and we talked to the marketing against the grain guys about this, you can actually create your own conversion audiences by using reach, by using awareness, by using traffic, by using link clicks, you can by using video view. You can create your own brand and your own conversion audiences. And that's the real game changer that we've seen just recently. It's totally counterintuitive and it's not very popular, but hey, you know, Meta at least understands that. There's inventory, kind of like with Performance Max. Performance Max came out, they're like, what are we going to do to monetize the display network? It's kind of like meta right now. Everybody's going after website conversions. What can we do to monetize and get more of these performance marketers, especially these high-volume agencies, to start using these other campaign objectives? And they've slowly but surely sort of integrated it in, dropped a couple of really good articles that say, hey, this is the way, this is how big brands grow. And we've started to implement it on our mid-sized clients, and we're seeing results, which is really the big trend. But it's not a popular trend. 
I got a follow up for you on that one. So let's say before you get a hundred dollars to spend, what percent was going towards retargeting? What percent was going towards awareness? And what does that look like Simple. now? That was a good question. Well, actually, what's a dollar amount for a mid-sized brand, right? Like what's a revenue example and a dollar spend example so we actually can get a real life scenario? I would say a mid-sized brand for us is probably eight figures plus, high seven figures, somewhere in the hundred million, two hundred million range, not quite enterprise level. So it's in that it's a wide range, but they have a director of marketing. They have a VP of marketing. They have somebody who's sort of in charge of an actual department. And we found that's really the folks that are open to this idea, as opposed to the SMBs, which we were talking about before. They're like, no, 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 no. I ain't doing that unless they're super, super local. And that's all you can do is just blast the area. You've got a real estate agent or a lawyer who has a 10-mile radius for people that he pulls in. So that's sort of the range. So it depends. We've got clients in the personal injury law space that the signed case amount is anywhere from 500 to 5,000. Whereas in the e-com space, we might be talking about like an average order value of anywhere between 50 to 200. I would say in those ranges is where we're really seeing that's a very wide range, but that's where we're seeing this type of strategy work extremely well. It's not for the smaller businesses and it's not for the local businesses, at least what I've seen, but we don't really deal with them as much. And enterprise, we tend to stay away from enterprise a bit just because it's just so much bureaucracy there. But I would imagine they're already doing it. Like they're already big brands because they've done it. That's the whole point. It's like big brands are big for a reason. Small brands are small for a reason. So they think small. Big brands have figured out a way to do this. And if you are a mid-sized 10 million to a couple hundred million dollar brand, and you want to get to more than that, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, you got to start thinking like a big brand. And that sometimes is a real sales job for our client success owners. Some buy into it and some don't. And the ones that don't, we sort of secretly start to put a little bit of ad spend in their $100,000 a month budgets or whatever it happens to me. We're like, wow, why are CPAs all of a sudden dropping? Why is my CPMs, they used to be $30 or $40, now they're $20. It's because we're making this shift. We're blending the things together to ultimately create conversions and lifelong customers. All right. Thank you so much for listening here today. Let us know what you think about these cross promotes between other marketing podcasts. Like we don't feel there is competition in this space. There's enough for everyone. But I think also you as a listener here, it's great to get different opinions on the same types of subjects that we cover here on Perpetual Traffic almost every single week, especially with super smart marketers. We've done it with Marketing Against the Grain, HubSpot's podcast, and now with these guys at Marketing School. So let us know what you think. We will continue to do these if you're getting value from them. So make sure that you do subscribe and leave a rating wherever you're listening. Make sure that you do check this out over on our YouTube channel. You can see the four of us, sort of a Brady Bunch kind of recording here on our recording software. You can get that at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. So subscribe, leave ratings, leave comments over there as well. And of course, all resources are going to be mentioned in the show notes at perpetualtraffic.com. So on behalf of my awesome co-host, Qasem Aslam, until next week's show, part two of our collaboration with Marketing School. See ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 